Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks again for coming out to, the, to Anthem uh, Facebook Live or at anthemchurch.life this morning. We're great to have you with us. Uh, thankful so much for those who gave the highest price for our freedom here in the United States uh, today on this Memorial Day weekend. We're grateful, of course, for their memory and for those of you who specifically have family members or loved ones who've lost their lives in combat. Uh, we want to let you know we share uh, yeah, our thoughts with you this morning and uh, we'll honor their memory today on this Memorial Day weekend. I want to start out this morning by asking you a question and it's this, have you ever felt like you just needed something to hold on to? I remember a few years ago, I had the opportunity a few times to go to the CN Tower in Toronto. And the CN Tower, for a long time, was the tallest freestanding structure in, uh, in the world until it got superseded by a, another tower somewhere. Uh, but if you look at this picture, there's this kind of um, section about three quarters of the way up. It's a large observation deck. And the unique thing about the CN Tower and uh, this observation deck up there is that it has a glass floor. And there's nothing more nerve-wracking than walking out of the elevator and then finding your way to this glass floor. You're 147 floors up at that point. And I've taken friends and family on more than one occasion to the CN Tower. And let me tell you, I've seen on more than one occasion people hold on to complete strangers in that setting because you just need something, someone to hold on to. It doesn't matter who they are. Because we need something, something, very often we're looking for something or someone to hold on to. Uh, also, I think back to when my son was six, he's going to kill me for this, um, that <laughs> when he was in his first football soccer league, um, uh, the end of it, because he's six years old, everybody wins, there's no losers, so like that, that comes later, but everybody wins and everybody gets a trophy. And he held on to this trophy, not just for a day, but then went to bed with it and then, you know, took it to the bathroom, showered with it. For th- I, I don't want to say for less than three days did he let go of that uh, trophy. He had it with him wherever we went because we love to find things to hold on to. Another place I got to visit once was, was Egypt and to cruise down the Nile for a few days a couple of decades ago. Um, and we went to the Valley of the Kings where the... The, the tomb of, ting, of the boy king, King Tutankhamun, had been found maybe 100 years ago now. Um, but he was buried with not just the mask, this mask that covered his face, but also with over 5,000 artifacts that it was traditional back then for the pharaohs to be buried with all their stuff because presumably you could take it with you and presumably you could hold on to it. We all uh, sometimes want something to hold on to. And today, I want to talk for a little bit about some of the things that we choose to hold on to. You know, last week, I started talking um, along this theme of how to get through what you're going through. And I mentioned that uh, our faith will often go in, in three phases. And I think we kind of go in and out of these phases. We start out, when we first start following Jesus, um, with what I would call a confident faith, where it feels like you know, your prayers always reach heaven, that God is always present with you. Every time you open the Bible and you put your finger in it, it hits a verse that makes sense and seems to encourage you and inspire you. God just seems close and everything seems to be going well. And then, and it might be years before you hit this kind of uh, tough season, I feel for me as somebody who became a Christian when I was about 14, it wasn't until about I was 20 when I really hit this challenged faith, which is the second phase, 
where all of a sudden it feels like you've got questions that you never had that don't feel like they're being answered. It almost feels like your prayers are hitting a ceiling and bouncing right back. You open the Bible and nothing makes sense. It doesn't feel like God's present. But then there's this phase that if we push through that, we can experience a living faith where we understand that despite difficult situations, despite those seasons that we go through where God doesn't seem close or doesn't seem present, that He is present, that He's with us. He's a God of the valleys as much as He is a God of the mountaintops. And we can experience that living, ongoing, dependable faith in a trustworthy God. But I think the key here is that in order to get to a living faith, we have to get through this phase of a challenged faith. Now, uh, we're asking that question, how do we get through what we're going through? And so we're going to continue on by looking at the experience and the lives of the Israelites, God's chosen people that we read about in the Old Testament of the Bible. God led them out of slavery in Egypt promising to take them to the promised land. And I'm sure that they had this, they lived with this confident faith because as they're uh, being exodused from, the, from Egypt and, and God is, is, is setting them free, um, they're seeing miracle after miracle. They're seeing God work in miraculous ways in order to get them through to where they're going through. But God, as He often does, doesn't take them necessarily on the direct route to the promised land. He takes them through the desert. And during that desert experience, they're no longer feeling confident. They're feeling uncertain. They're feeling unsure. They're probably fearful. They're, they're in uncertainty and distress. And during that time, Moses, who's their primary leader, goes up to Mount Sinai to meet with God, not just for a sort of a, like a one overnight stay in a Holiday Inn Express. This, he's out for 40 days and 40 nights, a long period of prayer and seeking God and meeting with God up in the mountain. He's up on the mountain. People are in the valley. He's hearing from God. The people are down there hearing nothing. Moses is up there holding on to the Ten Commandments that God just provided for them. And down in the valley, people are holding on to nothing. And during that period, they just want something to hold on to. They just want something to make them feel as if God is present. So what happened during that period? We're going to pick it up in Exodus 32. And it says this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us uh, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. I love the the, the human aspect of this whole thing. You know, Moses has been their, their leader for some time. He's been the one through, which God, through whom God has done significant miracles that they've been looking to for leadership along the way. And now Moses is just gone for a period of up to 40 days. And all of a sudden, they're, they're, these people are fickle, they're erratic, and they're trying to get Aaron. Aaron is Moses' younger brother, who is the second in command to this, this people of Israel. You know, this is two million people out in the desert that, that Aaron is now leading. And they're giving Aaron grief, like, Aaron, can you make us some gods? Can you make us something to hold on to? Figure it out. Sometimes, Aaron, we need something for right here and for right now. And so Aaron takes all their gold. He asks everybody, here, listen, give me your gold earrings. The men and the women, men, if you want to get earrings, go ahead. It's in the Bible. But like the men and the women, give us your earrings and we're going to melt it down. And we're going to make a golden calf because that seems to make sense, right? And so 
uh, in verse 4, it says, He took what they handed him, and he made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these, and then they said, actually, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. Makes you wonder, like, Aaron's only been fully responsible as kind of like the vice president of this people for somewhere leading up to 40 days. And already, like, it seems like he's losing the plot. You've got this group of people, this huge uh, nation of people that are giving Aaron pressure. And, um, but, but don't write Aaron off just yet. Because even, in, even within that calf, in the situation that he's saying, like in verse 5, let's, let's make today a festival to the Lord, to Yahweh. So he's in this odd situation where he's, he's building calves and he's trying to, trying to lead a festival to Almighty God as well. You know, it's not just by chance that they picked a, a calf to be their idol. It wasn't that like, you know, Aaron just liked small baby farm animals or something like that and said, let's make a calf. Like scholars agree that the calf is a, is a common symbol for a god during that time. In fact, during that time making a golden calf, it was unlikely actually that they were making an actual god, but they were making a visual representation of their god. They weren't changing to a completely new god but they were making a seat or a throne. That scholars tell us that they were probably making a seat or a throne for Yahweh. As if to say, doesn't Yahweh look great and feel much closer, more present, more real if we dress him up as a baby cow? Which just seems odd to us, but we'll, that's the story. So we'll just go with it. I mean, really, is there anything really wrong with just making God just seem a little bit closer? Really? Um, it begs the question for us, I think. As people who are unlikely to say, well, God hasn't been, you know, very present recently, so I'm just going to change gods. I'm just going to, like, move my, you know, my, my, my uh, allegiance to God to somewhere completely different. We're unlikely to do that. But what we're likely to do is, is uh, find something to hold on to in the midst of the silence. What we might be likely to do is find things that help us make, it, make God feel more real. And Aaron's having this moment of weakness amongst the people who are fickle and erratic and they want what they want. They want it now. And in the process, he's trying to help God out. It's what we call syncretism. It's the joining together of multiple uh, cherry-picking pieces of Christianity, cherry-picking pieces of truth, and sort of blending it together with, with other pieces of philosophy and other ideas from other religions into, into sort of a blender and creating this religion smoothie that just goes down a lot easier than the raw truth itself. Aaron tried to connect the golden calf as an image of Almighty God. In verse 4, he says, these, they say, these are your gods is, uh, that brought you up out of Egypt. And this is this community saying, you know, you were brought up out of Egypt, and you know that this was Almighty God who got you here. But right here, this is this physical representation of the God that brought you up out of Egypt. And it's at a time when specifically God had said in the Ten Commandments, the second commandment is don't make any idols. 
My presence is enough. My name is enough. God said, my name, Yahweh, it means, it means I am that I am. And he's essentially saying to the people, you don't get more than that. You get this, this, uh, this confidence that I am who I am, that I am present. I am with you. And yet they're desperate to, to put legs on this experience and, and have something physical and tangible. When God says, don't fashion any idols that look like me, I am present. I am your God. Come on, Moses. You've been gone for 40 days. We don't know if if you're ever coming back. We need something to worship. We lived in Egypt for 400 years. They had all kinds of gods. You know, they were used to like having golden calves and anything that they would fashion into the, the shape of an idol to be something that they could worship. Why shouldn't we make the occasional idol sometimes? And it seems that even though they'd come out of Egypt, Egypt hadn't totally come out of them. So I want to ask you, when God is quiet, who do you become? Now, notice I didn't say when when church is kind of not open on a Sunday at the Doubletree Bedford Glen Hotel in the same way that it usually is, what do you do? I'm not asking what you do to fill an hour on Sunday when there's no opportunity to do that. I want to ask when God seems to be silent in your life, not just because we're in a pandemic or anything like that, but when you go through phases in your life of when God seems to be silent, who do you become? It'd be very easy for us to uh, get confused with who we are as followers of Christ with what we do as followers of Christ, as in we, we do certain things like we go to church in our church calendar on certain days. As many of you know, just incidentally, our, our church meets in a hotel, and uh, we have the privilege, like I said, of meeting at the Bedford Glen Hotel, right on the corner of, of, of Bill Ricker and Burlington and Bedford. And we've always said that you know, kind of the, the heart of our mission is to the four Bs, to Bill Ricker, Bedford, Burlington, and the base, meaning Hadscombe Air Force Base, which is so close to us right here. Um, now, if you're from one of those surrounding towns or anywhere else in the country, our Our mission to connect with you is is true as well. But locally, we're so glad that we get to normally meet right on the corner of those three towns at the Bedford Clan Doubletree. Now, just because the Doubletree, now obviously the Doubletree is not even open for for normal use, whether whether the governor or the president have have said that they're going to start easing opportunities for churches to meet. We don't have that that luxury just yet, and we won't be meeting until uh, it's both legal and safe for your uh, families and your children and for our community to gather in real life. We, I, like anybody else, I want to be the first uh, to get together when it's, when it's the right time. But this is one of those challenged faith times when we shouldn't just be asking, I can't go to church, what do I do? But it should be one of those times where I'm, ask, I'm asking this question. Okay, things are a little bit different for me as a follower of Christ right now, with the lockdown that we've been in and, the, and the, the gradual reopening that we're facing, things are quite different. But it's not about so much what do I do. It's who am I going to become. During this period of challenged faith, who am I going to become? And as a follower of Christ, do you, do you write God off? No. I don't, I don't expect any of you to do that. I, I think it would be very odd for any of us to do that. But I know it's likely that and easy for us to grasp onto something else that just makes God feel a little bit real. And when we add onto that, when we add onto that, we add danger to our Christian experience because we're moving into this, this idea of syncretism, this 
um, this idea of s- sort of making a golden calf to be kind of the, the God that, that, meet, that is slightly more real. The Israelites needed something to hold on to during that time, and they weren't willing just to hold on to God. Now, whenever we have to wait, we convince ourselves that really quickly that the person is gone forever. And I think that's what, um, I think that's what the Israelites did. They, in their mind, they just thought that Moses has been gone for 20, 30, 40 days, whatever it was. He might never come back. You know, my dog's a lot like this. You know, he doesn't know the difference between me saying, Cooper, I'm going to the end of the driveway now to get the mail. Like, that's, that's one thing. Or if I were to alternately say to him, Cooper, I'm going off to war now. I might never return. Like, he, the way he responds when I come back, you think it would been, it had been like, like I've been gone for years. And, you know, he howls at the door when we leave, and he just has no, um, well, anyway, he's a dog. So what would you expect? But we, we live in this immediate culture where we want immediate results. And I love that. I'm all for it. You know, we, we're used to quick answers. We can YouTube anything or Google it or whatever and get quick answers to anything. But there's a bit of a shadow side to that as well, isn't there? When God's delaying, or when it seems that God is delaying, we can easily get sidetracked. We don't tend to fashion gods out of gold earrings, but there are plenty of things during this time that we hang on to. Maybe you've, maybe you've thrown your life into your job right now during a period where, where the, 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 the noise of the silence is too hard to deal with. Maybe you've become a extreme neat freak in your house to the expense of relationships in your home. Maybe there's a distraction in your family that, that, that only your family knows about because it's too private or it's something that's behind closed doors. Maybe it's the buzz of the bottle or it's an addiction that you're, on the, that, that you're dangerously on the edge of giving into. What about you? What are you facing right now? that makes you wonder, how am I going to get through what we're going through? What's the thing that's created the challenged faith in your life that's really hard to deal with? Maybe you're thinking outside of pandemic, this isn't where I thought I would end up. This isn't the, uh, the loneliness that I thought I would be dealing with in my life right now. Life is tough. And now's a great time. As it was when we, we, we first started facing this change, as it is when we start to see perhaps the light at the end of the tunnel, that we, that we start to reevaluate relationships, finances, that we ask ourselves, why am I in extreme loneliness? Is it, is it because of everybody else, or are there steps that I can take to, to, to break into a relational world that will, that will support me? Why would God allow me to go through this? Why would God allow me to go through this pain? And I really believe this today. Anthem, I want to tell you, it cannot be because God doesn't love us. Because God promises to use every situation that we are in for His glory. So, a couple of challenges today that I want to give you. First is this. During this time, what? do I need to let go of? What do I need to release? What substitutes for God or helps for God do I need to release in a time when I should be holding on to God? What do you cling to in order to to get through what you're going through? In the rush to, to get back to normal that is all around us, 
what parts of normal do I want to leave behind? What parts of normal should I not go back to? And then, as well as what should I let go of, I want to ask you this. What do I need to hold on to? And I think there's two things here. And the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to hold on to God's presence. You know, every, almost every time you, you hear the word from God or from an angel in the Scriptures, you see that, that phrase, fear not. God knows that His presence you know, induces fear in people. So there's this phrase where you often see, whether it's talking to, to, to Mary or Joseph or others throughout the Scriptures, fear not. God wants to remind us, don't be fearful. But there's always this tagline underneath. It's kind of like the, 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 the rest of, the, of the, the statement here, for I am with you. It's, coupled, it's almost always coupled with that phrase. God wants you, us to know that His presence is with us in times when we would normally be fearful. That doesn't mean that we have to be fake. It doesn't mean that we can't be honest with God and we can't be real about our struggles, about our tough times. We can't experience the lament, the, the crying out to God. A lament is that time when we ask why and we don't get an answer. When we ask, like, why is this happening? And you don't feel like you get an answer from God, but you sit in that questioning time. God can receive that lament from you. You know, we have a whole a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. If you haven't read it and you're feeling this struggle right now, go look up Lamentations in your Bible and just read those seven, eight, seven or eight chapters and just experience. Uh, maybe it's okay for me to cry out to God during this time and not totally get an answer. The, a third of the Psalms, and you thought the Psalms were the, were the encouraging, like let's praise God together type scriptures in the Bible. A third of the Psalms include a period of lament in them, that period of crying out to God and feeling like He's not necessarily giving us an answer. He's, he's quiet during those periods. Almost all of the Old Testament prophetic scriptures, except for one, includes some period of lament in those prophetic scriptures, in those prophetic books. You know, somebody said that Christians are like nails, like the harder you hit them, the deeper that they go. And maybe you're feeling like I'm being hit right now, that I'm being, I'm being sort of knocked down during this time, and I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting out of it. But maybe during that season, God, if we respond to Him well, will allow us to go deeper in our relationship with Him. Maybe it's not going to be all bad, but maybe during this desert season, God wants to meet with us in such a way that one day you'll be able to look back and you'll see God met me there, and God met me there, and God met me there, because He is present in the desert. Hold on to God during this season and hold on to His presence. And then secondly, I believe this. I believe we have to hold on to our values. Remember, this period of time, this challenged faith highlights for us that being a follower of Jesus isn't so much about what we do. It's about who we are and who we are becoming. And God talked about the Israelites in this way in Exodus 32, verse 8. He said, they are quick to turn away. He says, my, my people are quick to turn away. They're very fickle. It's very easy for them to find someone else to follow. It's easy for them to not hold on to their values. 
Hold on to who you are. Make that choice in your life today to honor God. Because our long-term goal is not just for today or tomorrow, but think about it. We, have, we can't know for sure how long we're going to be on the earth, but we can perhaps have a general prediction by life expectancy. And so I'm, I'm 25, so I've probably got like 50, 55 more years. Agree to disagree, maybe. But like, so I've got some time to live on this earth yet. But my goal isn't just to do the right thing, just to honor God today or tomorrow, but it's to honor God for the remaining decades of my life. So I might be able to look back at the end of my life like the Apostle Paul did and say, I've finished the course. I've run the race. I've finished the course. And to be, and to be looking back at a life spent honoring God in, on mountaintops and in valleys. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about, about uh, how mountaintops and valleys. Uh, anyway, we'll get to that later. I, I don't want to give too much of that away, but join us next week because I've, I've, I've got some stuff I want to share with you about that next week. It's easy for us to, to lose sight of our values during these periods, these tough times. When God's standing at the end, waving a flag saying, don't forget, you're, you're aiming for this life well spent. You're aiming to finish well. So many individuals, Christians, leaders, um, leaders in our, our world today. You can look at a study of leaders all over the globe in history and biblical times today and realize that so many of them don't finish well because they don't hold on to their values. Hold on to the presence of God during this time and hold on to who it is that God has made you during this time to get you through what we're going through. Before we worship together in a moment, I want to finish with this quote from Corrie Tenbu. It's always stuck out to me. It says this, When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. And although in so many ways our lives can go through periods of light and darkness and it feels like we're in a tunnel, that's why we had this kind of tunnel motif in our, in our branding for, these, uh, for this series that we're in. It can seem like we're in a tunnel, but it's the time to trust our God and hold on to Him. When we don't know what to pray, we definitely don't know what to sing, and it doesn't feel like our, our prayers are getting through. During seasons of challenged faith, I believe God is calling us to put our trust in Him in a way that we never have done before. Let's pray together. Lord, for the faces of the people at Anthem that I'm thinking of now, those folks who's, who's uh profile showed up that they were watching this stream this morning at the beginning when I took a look at it. And I see those people who've become family to me in so many ways. And in tangible ways, I, I love seeing their faces and I love being part of their lives. God, I pray for everyone who calls Anthem home this morning or is just visiting us from the outside and doesn't even feel like they're part of this community. Father, I pray that you'll remind us that we are yours, that we can trust you with everything that we have during times when the, when the light gets switched off and during times of challenged faith, God, that you and you alone will get us through what we're going through. And I pray today that we'll put our total faith in you. That's in Jesus' name we pray.